Today on the Elf Goes Mainstream podcast, we have a guest who is making alts go mainstream by making the process of making an investment into a fund easier. Carta and fund manager veteran Tim Flannery is the founder of Passthrough, a fund workflow automation tool that digitizes and automates the fund subscription process. Fund closing is a painful process for everyone involved. LPs have to manually input data into subscription documents, which means they often miss questions or err in their answers. That requires do-overs and more time spent going back and forth on subscription documents. And much of this data is unstructured, hidden within PDFs, meaning that funds can't use this when LPs re-up to following funds or invest in other funds. And fund managers have little visibility into the raise and timings for closings. Tim is building a product with pass-through that gives fund managers one of the most valuable assets that they have, time back to them and provides for a great user experience with fund closings. Passthrough automates the fund closing process by digitizing subscription documents, turning them into a custom TurboTax style workflow. We were lucky enough to use Passthrough for our investment to lower carbon capital, and we never knew how easy a fund closing could be until we used Passthrough. Passthrough's fastest subdoc completion on record is said to be six minutes, and mine wasn't that far off. The process is simple, automated, and efficient since Passthrough collects relevant data on LPs so that it's easier and quicker to subscribe for the next fund. Tim has a great background to be building Passthrough. He was previously the head of go to market for investor services at Carta and worked on a number of large strategic accounts there. He also spent time as a partner at Pilot Mountain Ventures and started his career at JP Morgan in private equity fund services, so he's seen the life cycle of a fund investment from all angles. He's sharp, thoughtful, and focused as a founder who's building a product that many GPs and LPs already love. We had a great discussion about how Passthrough is providing critical market infrastructure to the alt space and what the future of investing into funds look like with Passthrough. We discussed how data matters in the fund closing process and how Passthrough is the narrow waste of the alt space, building the connective tissue for funds and LPs to complete closings and then use that data in all sorts of places and sit on top of platforms like iCapital, Carta X, AngelList, and others. In a sense, pass-through is a solution for the alt space in a similar manner to how Wallet Connect is the connective tissue between wallets and dApps in the crypto ecosystem. This was a fascinating conversation about bringing technology to automate the alt space that I'm excited to see play out over the coming years. Thanks, Tim, for coming on the Elko's Mainstream Podcast. It was a pleasure to have you. We're going Tim, welcome to the Elko's Mainstream Podcast. Yeah, thanks. Really excited to be on. Thanks for having me. Oh, excited to have you on. You are solving a crucial problem in the alt space, fund closing, and empowering number of funds to help them get LPs, close LPs, have a better experience. So much to talk about here. Would love to get into all of this, but first start with your background. You have probably the perfect background to do this. You've been on the fund side, so you've experienced fund closings. You've worked at Carta and understand building software for funds and LPs. Would love to hear what brought you to pass through. How did you get there? What was your journey? Yeah. So I started off my career at JP Morgan in the most unglamorous part of JP Morgan, basically the wire room. 
And I was doing it for the private equity fund services group. This is handling JP Morgan's internal funds and third-party funds, handling all the different reporting and stuff. Did that for a couple of years, then went over to another part of JP Morgan, eventually left and raised a micro VC fund. And when I left that, I thought I left all of the alts back office space behind, but uh, life has some surprises for you. Decided to go raise a micro VC fund, spent a couple of years there, worked with one of our portfolio companies and ran operations, decided to go grab my MBA at Wharton. And then when I graduated, my background had primarily been in strategy and in operations, took a sales job at Carta. It was right around when Carta had launched the fund administration group. That's where I met my partners, Alex and Ben. All three of us came from Carta. They helped launch the investor services group. Alex ended up becoming the head of engineering. Ben was a product and operations leader. And in my two and a half years there, I, by the time I left, I ended up being the head of go-to-market for Carta Investor Services. While we were there, Ben and Alex had built the investor portal. Then they helped launch the fund administration group. And when we launched Fund Admin, we got introduced to this problem of subscription documents. And so we got to know them as a service provider. And our greatest problem was all the data was unstructured. We'd have to try to decipher an investor's handwriting so that we could pull information out, type it into an Excel spreadsheet, and to go upload it into our portal. Terrible use of time. You make mistakes. Nobody really paid us for it. And this unstructured data was an issue for Carta, but it was also an issue for fund managers, for law firms, for every other service provider, anybody who needs to extract information from these documents. Everybody's doing the exact same thing. And besides there being this unstructured data, we realized it's really difficult for fund managers to effectively manage a raise because they're sending out a subscription document and they have no idea where their investor is in that process until they receive a subscription document back. Once they get that subdoc back, then they need to make sure that their law firm, their compliance team, their tax team, their fund administrators, however they've decided to form their own fund administration or their own fund closing team, that everybody is actually doing the correct things and not just getting dropped on BCC email threads. There's no source of truth. On the investor side, the investor is the worst experience of all. They get a 100-question, 200-question questionnaire, and no two questionnaires are alike. Even professional investors are answering questions that don't apply to them. And they're missing things that do apply to them. And all of this results in redoing it from scratch. All of these combined to say, you know, there's probably a pretty good workflow that we could build here. And what we do is take any subscription agreement and build something where an investor sees one question at a time. And they only see the questions that are relevant to them, but they see every question that's relevant to them. You're insured to get a completed document. Essentially, the engagement super straightforward where fund manager provides us the subscription agreement we onboard it, they invite their investors, they track where they are, the investor answers a subset of questions, they upload supporting documentation, they execute it, the law firm comes in and reviews, sits in a queue until it's time to close, and then you're done. The goal was, let's just create this simple workflow where it's this complicated process where we can make it feel straightforward and linear and easy. There's some interesting characteristics to subdocs that said, okay, maybe it's time to go build a business here. There's so much here to unpack around different pieces of the process. First, why hasn't this been solved in the past? It's been a problem for quite some time. Investors know this, funds know this. What, what about it has made it so difficult to solve this problem to date? Well, I don't think it was something people needed to solve in the past. It used to be that venture, and really this isn't a venture problem, this is an alternatives problem, but the alternative space was a small club. When you didn't have a ton of volume, whether it be investors, even though you still had a lot of money, you didn't have a ton of investors running through. Same old way of pen and paper and bespoke processes work just fine. But now as we've continued to see more and more people participating in alts for the first time, I mean, today Andreessen Horowitz is 55 
billion dollars of assets under administration. The entire venture capital industry was about 48, 50 billion or so in 1999. The space has matured and we now have so many more people participating for the first time and everybody wants to be able to take that capital in. The pipes just don't work anymore. What you're talking about is, is something that's so key to building a business, which is timing and market timing matters. How do you think about market timing in the context of building your business? Some of which to what you just said, but you also worked at Carta that could have been built a few years ago, but it wasn't. Is there something about this moment in time that makes things different than certainly the nineties, but even just a few years ago? So three things that I'll call out. First is that there's more people participating than ever before, like we just said, but a couple examples. Uh, one is Partners Group, for instance, they lobbied the Department of Labor to make sure that retirement accounts could invest in alternatives. That unlocked so much capital to start rushing into the markets and for people to actually start building around that. Then there's Jobs Act 4.0, where they're trying to increase the LP counts that can come in. They're also trying to change the accreditation rules so that more people qualify. Then there's also this general trend of the rise of the retail investor. And Robinhood really pressed on that. And so that's on the people side. But then if you just take a look at the capital, Today, it's about a $10 trillion industry, alternatives. Goldman has it pegged for about $18 billion in five years if things don't work out so well. But if things work out really well, Goldman says it's a $30 trillion industry. There's so much capital and there's so much increased interest. And COVID was just the accelerant for why you needed to have a software solution in place. Because it turns out most people don't have printers at home. And even if you do, how are you going to get documents back and forth between everybody who needs to get them? You reference something that I think is so core to what you're building at Passthrough, which is creating structured data and creating efficiencies through identity verification. You've mentioned this before that you built an investor passport. I'd love to get into that more because it feels like as you think about what you just said, that there's more people participating. There's not only more people participating, but there's different entities through which they may participate. It could be their 401k, it could be their trust, it could be themselves personally. That creates all sorts of data problems as you get more and more people investing. How do you think about that in the context of helping to create better structured data for this space, which then makes this space just more efficient? Some of it comes down to the different kinds of data. A subscription document asks you all sorts of things about who are you, where do you live, give me your social, give me your tax ID, give me every other attestation and PII that you have. That information is useful in subscription documents, but it's useful in a, a variety of other places. But a subscription document is where you can get the most complete data set. Just by having an investor step through our workflows, we're passively capturing this investor information that can be reused across additional places. So compliance, KYC, AML, regulatory reporting, but this stuff also extends into tax, wealth management, banking, all of these other spots. So if what you can do is bring it in, then you can start to allow that investor to permission it on their own to other parties who need it. That's really the idea. That's why we took this approach of let's create this nuanced point of view about what the information is and allow you to control it and check it in with whatever counterparts that you'd like so that you can just have a frictionless process as you go throughout the private markets. Paint us a picture for what that looks like. As you build this out and you create this identity passport for investors, what does the industry look like once that happens? Today, what it means is you come in, you fill out a subscription document through pass through. The first time you have no idea you're creating a profile. Second time you come in, you work with another fund manager, you decide to re-up, then we already have your information. You just get to pre-fill your documents and you get to go. That works anytime you're filling out a sub doc. If we can go out and do the things that we want to do, which is basically to become the dominant fund closing platform and everything that's involved in fund closing, then that means that in the future, 
essentially what we do is we turn investing into buy now. And so you can really quickly shorten the transaction time, the transaction costs that are associated with it, because you already have this centralized, uh, federated identity that has been approved by pick a different counterparty so that you can just quickly exchange information with everybody who needs it. And you can go about doing your business as a provider or as an investor or as a fund manager. Five years, I hope that you look at people uh, that aren't using pass-through to execute their fund closing sideways and wondering why they're doing that. In 10 years, I hope that every website that you go to where you would transact in the private markets, if it doesn't have a login with pass-through button, you should be pretty confused. How does that also change, not just primary markets in the private space, but you experienced some of this with Carta X and what the likes of Forge have done, but private markets are becoming more like public markets in the sense that they're becoming more liquid. And there's now secondary markets for private equity fund interests, for startups, private companies. How does the idea of buy now, like you said, making it easier for people to transact in private markets, not just translate to primary markets, but to translate to secondary markets? And is that a good thing? So if we already have all the information on one party or even both parties, then we can pretty quickly allow a transfer. We can pretty quickly allow a re-up. We can pretty quickly allow for whatever it might be, uh, a sale and then purchase of a secondary interest. The speed is very quick for this to happen. And then it comes down to, does the fund manager want to allow that to happen? That's ultimately the big question. I, I don't have the answer for that. Some fund managers are happy to have more liquid investments. And one of the things that we saw at Carta is that there really is no like, private markets and there's no public markets. There's this gray area in between. It comes down a lot to what the fund manager wants. Maybe that fund manager wants to be able to tell prospective investors, hey, come on into our fund. We're going to be able to allow liquidity. And whether that's in a Web 2 world or a Web 3 world, I've talked to companies that are solving it in both, then great. But it really does come down to what their fund strategy is. Some people would rather lock up capital and make sure, I don't think Sequoia wants to allow free trading of their LP interest, just to guess. But for other fund managers, that might line up really well. We're actually hearing that from some of the largest global asset managers on the planet. They like it because it increases the pool of capital that they can bring in. And they also sense that the winds might be moving in that direction anyways. And so they're trying to get ahead of the game. You bring up something really interesting, which is that you sit in the middle of two key constituents in this space. You sit in the middle of fund managers and investors, retail or institutional. What does that mean for you as you think about building pass-through. Fund closing isn't just an interesting way to go out and collect this investor identity information. It's also a way that we can lay the pipes between investors and fund managers, whether those fund managers be traditional asset managers or whether they be companies that are deciding to go build in this space. Much like when AT&T laid pipes down 100 years ago, connecting people so that they could hit each other up on the telegraph, that became phone calls, that became internet cables, It's the exact same idea. We're laying the pipes that are connecting all of the different nodes of the networks so that we start with subscription documents, but it extends far beyond that. It's fascinating you say that. My next question was actually going to be that I think of you as like the Wallet Connect for the alts industry. And and there was an investor in Wallet Connect, 1KX, who actually wrote a blog post saying that there's this narrow waste where TCP IP is the narrow waste and Wallet Connect, like pass-throughs in the middle of these two constituents. And there can be many distribution platforms. There can be many funds. There can be many investors. But you sit in that narrow waist and help everyone solve these problems. So it's interesting. How do you think about that analogy and maybe the internet analogy as well as you think about what pass-through does for the alt space? So 
You have all these investors that are coming in. You have all this capital that's coming in. All of that leads to increased interest from everybody to come build here, whether it's I'm going to go launch a fund and I have a fund strategy, or I'm going to go launch a company that's serving to connect all these different components, whatever it is. And the thing that none of these people make money doing is executing subscription documents. Same thing with KYC AML, same thing with every other piece of investor onboarding and ongoing activity that occurs that's just legal in nature or transactional in nature. It's just how the information needs to flow. Right now, it gets exchanged in PDFs. What we can do is, if they're going to go build something, it's not a feature that they have to their product. It's they're leveraging something that is modern infrastructure for the private markets, which means that they can go focus on things that actually do make them money. iCapital would probably make more money just by building out the marketing function of what they do instead of focusing on how can we execute a fund closing. Instead, we have a data model that captures all the complexities of fund closing, but really all the complexities of transactions that occur between investors and fund managers. And they can leverage what we know about to be the true view of the world for fund closing and just adopt our data model. And then they can go solve everything else that they need to go do to make sure, hey, this is how I'm actually going to go present opportunities to investors. This is how I'm going to present tools to funds to be able to manage and raise from them effectively. And if all of these companies continue to come and build in this space, then they can just lean on that infrastructure and, and go do the, the things that make the money instead. You're bringing up a really interesting point when you reference a, a company like iCapital, which some extent is the infrastructure and rails for the private wealth community or the intermediaries to access alternative investment funds. To some extent, it's a distribution platform. Right now you're building software, but you're also in between these two constituents. How do you think about the interplay between building a software business and building a distribution platform in the alt space, given how important distribution is in this industry and how much money there is in it, given the size of the asset flows, like you referenced, 10 trillion, possibly 30 trillion in five years? When a fund manager decides to use pass-through to execute their closing, they're trusting us with their most precious thing, investor relationships. And so by having an investor step through, we're capturing their investor information to allow that investor to repurpose it. If that fund manager thinks that we have divergent interests where I'm actually just capturing this information so that I can go reuse it, resell it, go take advantage of it, then we're arriving at a conflict. So what we're doing is having an investor come through and they're building a profile. The reason that they're doing that though is because we want that investor to be able to control access to their own information. We believe that this is a platform that needs to be solved for not a new distribution channel. We think there's going to be a lot of different players in the space like Carta X, like iCapital, like Case. On the emerging side, you've got folks like Allocate, people who are coming in to go create access to all these different things. We'd rather allow the investors to control where their information goes instead of create this conflict um, between us, the fund manager, and the investor. And so it's, it purely becomes an investor passport that that investor decides I'm going to go check it in with this counterparty or I'm going to go check it in with that counterparty instead. Another thing that's really interesting about this is you've created this elegant experience. I think six minutes to a sub doc. I've completed this with a few of the funds that you work with, and it is an incredibly elegant experience. Now, historically, the process of investing in the private markets, completing sub docs has never been of the standard of something that we would think of as consumer tech. But as you referenced before, there are more and more investors coming in. There are younger investors coming in. People are used to really high quality user experiences. How do you think about that when it comes to the alt space? Some people's argument has been it, it, it just needs to be done. It doesn't need to be perfect. 
So how do you think about that when it comes to creating a great user experience of being done versus being perfect? Well, so why does the user experience actually matter? Is it because somebody feels good when they walk through the flow? That's important from our perspective. So much of our business is driven by investors who came through that refer us to other funds. That's It's important for pastor, but it's not important for the fund manager. The reason why a great UX is important for the fund manager, though, is because how many touch points do you have like this with your LPs? If this is your first time raising a fund, do you want to send out a DocuSign and have to send out that DocuSign four different times because they've continued to fill it out incorrectly? It's not a good first touch point. Second is that it, it was unbelievable to me when I, I realized this, but there are people that get so many different opportunities to invest in funds, even if they decide to commit, if the process is too laborious, they're actually going to drop out completely. And so you're going to lose capital. And the third reason is, yeah, sure. Maybe you'll go close the same amount of capital or not. You can decide that for yourself, but the amount of time it's going to take you to close capital, we will save you weeks on it. And all that starts with a smooth experience, not just for the investor, but it's for the investor, the fund manager, the law firm, the fund admin, the custodian, everybody who's involved in the process. You need to have a really tightly unified experience for all of these different parties. And the end result is you have happy investors. You have investors that aren't dropping out. You can actually track where they are. And you're running an efficient close. You can get back to the business of investing, which is why you raised it in the first place. On that point, how much do you think about pass-through, particularly for smaller funds, as serving as an outsourced investor relations headcount for them or service for them versus obviously some of the bigger funds you worked with. And I know you, you have lead edge on your website, they're a big fund and they have a head of IR, but not every fund has a head of IR. How do you think about the, the service you provide to fund managers and, and where you start, where you stop to your point, like the delicate balance of you don't want to own that, that investor relationship. That's the funds relationship, but you also want to help them build their business. Our approach is more software driven than it's going to be service driven. We've, we've built both businesses in the past. We prefer building software businesses, but that doesn't mean that it, it can't be and shouldn't be high touch and it shouldn't be an amazing customer experience. If a fund manager has a question, if a lawyer has a question, if an investor has a question, they're going to get support from somebody that's assigned to their account that's making sure that they've got a good experience walking through it. But we're not coming in and telling a fund manager, hey, here's how to go manage your raise. What we're doing to them is saying, hey, here's all the tools that you need to see. Where exactly are you against your target? Where's your investors in the process? What have they answered? What do they have left outstanding? Where are you requesting changes? What's in a queue that uh, requires some action? How aged is it? And so we surface all the information that they need to go effectively manage a raise where before maybe they were trying to keep everything up to date in an Airtable or maybe a CRM or something like that. And so for especially the emerging manager, then it's tools for them to go do it effectively. But it's not to say that we're going to be your IR team. We're really focused on making this an efficient workflow for you to get everything through so that you can go do everything else afterwards. It, it, it works well for the emerging manager because it forces some structure on them to be able to say, this is how I should be able to see and track everyone and how I should know where my dollars are. The enterprise fund manager, if someone's on their first, second, third, they've got 500 million, they've got a billion plus in the bank. It's a totally different value proposition to them. For them, it's you already have all this information, you already have all this data about your investors that's sitting in your CRM somewhere and whatever database you have it. And it's how can we efficiently pull that information in, use it to pre-fill a subscription document to then efficiently put it back out. So actually this week, we just announced that our public API launched. Our public API 
is where, sure, we have companies that are coming in and building on top of us right now because they don't want to go solve this problem, but it's also how we can natively integrate and allow people with development resources to go integrate on their own. Essentially, we plug into whatever teams and whatever software you've already chosen, we're the pipes that are just connecting all those different pieces. On that point, how do you think about pass-through as a network effects business, both working with service providers, working with LPs, GPs, and anybody else in the ecosystem? So you as a fund manager, you have a bad experience, or you as the investor, you have a bad experience. It's obvious that that's not going to be a good fit. We're going to have done something wrong. You're not going to want to talk about us. But the less obvious thing is if your law firm or if your fund admin or your tax team or whatever your fund closing team is, if somebody along the way has a bad experience, it's going to have a spillover effect for your ability to get cash in the door. And it's going to have a spillover effect for that investor to be able to efficiently fill this stuff out. They're going to get frustrated otherwise. We need to make sure that we treat all of these different users as as critical and important to what we're doing. Because the moment one of them falls apart, the whole thing falls apart. We've sat in the service provider seat. We know what the problems are. We've solved them firsthand before. We know how to go build for them. And we also have credibility when we go talk to them. Over 80% of our business is driven by the network. We have one customer who came in and it was the first time we met their law firm. It's the first time that we met the fund administrator. And it's the first time that we met most, if not all, of their LPs. And then there's the fund manager talking about how well we did. That one deal resulted in 26 more deals. If we just have a really good experience for all these different parties, then it's compounding. That's the way to do sales. That is, that is absolutely the way to do sales. And what's interesting about this too is you worked at another network effects business, Carta. You helped build a big business there. What did you learn from your time at Carta building a network effects business there that you've taken with you to pass through? A couple things. Like the way that we think about these being pipes connecting all the different nodes, there was a great mental model that Henry had where you would build the single player game and everybody would come in and they would have a good experience. But the reason they'd stick around would be the multiplayer game. So our single player game is we've got an efficient workflow to run everything through uh, for a subscription document. The multiplayer game is, well, the next time you come in, isn't it just way easier to have all of your information pre-filled? But there's a lot of different mental models like that that we've been able to, to borrow from Carta. A lot of playbooks that we learned too. We didn't have to go discover that law firms were a really important channel here. We knew that. We knew exactly how to go talk to them. We knew exactly where you could fall flat on your face. We also learned that it's really nice to have a product where you have a customer that's paying you to go meet their investors. And if those investors have a good experience, it drives natural convergence in the network. If it wasn't for Carta, I'm I'm not sure that we would have had those insights. It was really important to watch that happen in cap tables and then see it spill out into the investor services group where we came from. And now we're trying to apply that same thing where we can bootstrap a network using this thing that nobody would have thought a cap table was how you go bootstrap a network. And it's the exact same thing in subscription documents. You saw Carta, and we did as well. We were investors in the Series A. You, you saw them build a wedge into a much bigger market opportunity with cap tables. You're doing the same with fund closing and subscription documents. Why start with this wedge? What was the key insight as you were building pass-through made you say, okay, this is the place to start And then from there, we can do all these other things. So the first is, it's a thing that has to occur. Every time you go out and raise a fund, you must process subscription documents. It's also the thing where there's most pain. If we can build a workflow that solves for all the custom things that need to happen in subscription documents, then we can become embedded into the way that people go out and close their funds. And as a nice side effect of that, we get to go meet the investors and we get to go build this complete profile of information about who they are. That information is expansive and it's useful across a variety of different contexts. 
it gives us the most complete set of information that then allows us to expand into adjacent areas. You can imagine compliance is an interesting area. You can imagine that regulatory reporting is. And then eventually just go down the line into all these other places where right now, if you're going to go out and apply for a line of credit today with your bank, you're sending over subscription documents. They're doing the exact same thing that uh, we were doing at Carta, which is typing it into a spreadsheet to go check it against some database somewhere to see whether or not they should give you credit for that LP's interest. Instead, we just capture it and we allow them to access it. So it was the exact right spot. We think the reason that a lot of the different workflows in the private markets, as archaic as they are, is because this investor information that's unstructured and just being sent around in PDFs. We felt the best way to capture that was through the subscription document. And that's uniform across all sorts of funds, right? It doesn't matter if you're working with a private equity fund, a venture fund, a micro VC, a large fund manager. You can capture pretty much any sort of constituent as a general partner in the private markets. Totally. Um, our limitation is the the documents need to be in English. That's about it. Whatever you need to do on your end, because your lawyers state that you have these different risks profiles and your investors or whatever, we can handle all that. Fund closing is a game of edge cases. That becomes much more mainstream because then you can do all these other things. Map out on that point what this looks like as you build and grow this platform. I mentioned earlier that I want in a couple of years you to look sideways at somebody that if they're not using pass-through, you're wondering why they're not using pass-through and the same thing with logging in. And it all starts with, you need to go out and win this investor identity network. Our bet on this is that the appropriate wedge is subscription documents. For us to go win this investor network, we need to be the dominant fund closing platform. It's everything that's included in fund closing, which includes subscription documents, but it also includes all the other annoying tax documents and all the other annoying compliance workflows that need to occur. And so we expand over time our definition of what fund closing is until everything that you need to bring an investor into your fund, we've got handled. We just start biting off chunk by chunk by chunk those different things. That's what we handle when we go directly to funds. And then on the other side, we get to lean into the tech companies who are building in this space. Between two of them, we get to see investor bases that aren't totally overlapping. If I'm going after retail investors, that's not necessarily the same investor base that some of the logos on our website have. By tackling both sides of them, we get to go meet more investors than ever. We get to make sure that everything else that all of these other companies need to do, all of the underlying embedded workflows, they just all get to happen on us because we're already a tool that they know and trust. And we already have all this information that goes all these other places. But it all starts with by being the dominant fund closing platform. For the GP side, you're creating a product that obviously LPs love using but you're solving a problem and building a product for the GPs. How do you think about serving the LP or does that come from just doing a great job serving the GP? On the LP side, the first thing that we can do is make it simple for them when they invest in a fund manager and the fund manager works with us. But there's only so much that we can grow the LP side because we're actually constrained by the number of fund managers that we work with. First, we have to go make sure that we actually have this big enough data asset, this big enough investor base one day in the future, then we can open up tools for investors to be able to go and do things on their own. So of course, one day we have to have an investor product. It's when you expand to the next node. There's gonna be a suite of things that we build and it all I think comes back to fund workflow automation. All of the activities that they have across the private markets, whether it's primary, secondary, whether the fund manager works with us or not, whether it's how they're handling all of their own tax treatment that needs to happen outside of all this stuff. We hope that it happens through us. We are going to step into that space one day, but that's not a tomorrow thing. That's a couple of days in the future thing. Do you think the alt space will need to catch up 
to that point as well, because it feels like we're undergoing this market structure evolution from pre to post trade or investment in the alt space. The infrastructure is being built, but we're still in the early days of that. That's part of the reason why so much innovation is happening in this space. How do you think about the sequencing of that innovation in the sense of first you need to build the base layer, kind of table stakes kind of things, and then you get to some of the stuff you're talking about? There's a reason that our focus for the next couple of years is really on just solving everything to do with investor onboarding. Because if you can solve how you get money in, then you can worry about everything else that comes with running a fund or running a tech company that's doing something in this space. If you can't solve how to get money in, then you're kind of stopped. If you can create a point of leverage there, then you can start to look at all the other examples. For exactly how that plays out, it's hard to predict. We have a general sense, both based on the number of companies that we're talking to and also just the, the capital that we know is coming in the next couple of years, that uh, there are going to be more people building in here and they're going to help us identify what the issues are that need to be solved. But if we can't help them take capital in the first place, then we know that has to be day one. On that point as well, and you referenced it with the innovations that a Robinhood or a Coinbase have created in their respective markets. We talk about this market structure evolution that we're in the midst of. How much do you look to the likes of what a Robinhood has done in a different market in the equities space to inform how you think about building some of that market infrastructure for, for the alt space across the life cycle of a trade? I was just listening to a podcast with Sam Bankman-Friedman last night. One of the things that he called out in the public markets is, how there needs to be six different intermediaries because everything's been built up and there's all this legacy stuff in place. You need to make sure that you're connecting everybody and everybody has their own economic incentives and interests. And how can you make sure that everything works? And that's why there's problems in, in the public markets today for payment for order flow and everything else that comes from it. Just building that structure and having it evolve over the course of however long has resulted in these strange mechanisms. And so I think in the private markets today, it's not too dissimilar from what people see in crypto which is there's stuff that happens, but it's not that there's a million different intermediaries that need to happen that already exist. And so over time, it's going to be interesting to see how it develops. Are there going to be a series of intermediaries where everything goes in between? Or can you have something like pass-through that serves as a base layer that people plug into that we become a, a single layer? It's, that's probably not going to happen. But it's probably about how you can connect everything uh, into one space. I, I hope it happens. That'd be a big win. But it's hard to tell. The one nice thing is that I think people will have learned that lesson from watching the public markets evolve. Crypto is where the market dynamics are coming forward so much faster than they need to in the private markets today, just because it's all in code, that we have an opportunity in the private markets to try to follow, I think, some of the lessons of crypto which is to try to keep the intermediaries out and allow it just to occur between the players. If we talk about crypto, I can't help but ask about the efficiencies that blockchain can create for things like fund admin. I've long thought that fund admin could and should be on the blockchain. We're starting to see that happen. The likes of iCapital announces a consortium case and their Apollo investment also talk about how they want to bring things on the blockchain. Blythe Masters from Digital Asset Holdings on the board. How do you think about the impact of blockchain on something like fund admin, fund closing, and how do you think about the application of it with regards to what you're building at Passthrough? Regardless of if you have a fund that's on the blockchain or not, and I think that actually starts to unlock some of the liquidity things that we talked about. Regardless of whether or not you're building something that's crypto native, you're still going to have to have an on-ramp. At the end of the day, people are going to need to find a way to still work within the existing legal and regulatory framework. So all of this additional growth in crypto alongside everything that's happening in what we know as traditional alternatives today, also what we're seeing in fintechs that are developing in the space, 
also works in our favor because again, they're still going to need to have a subscription document process. They're still going to need to have something with KYC AML. They're still going to need to have all these other things until you get to the space of DeFi. But even then, there are DAOs that need to go solve, is this somebody that I should allow into my fund? Does this person have sanctions? Can I actually accept this money? I don't think it actually changes anything for us other than it's just more pressure on the system needing to be able to handle volume. That's how you have anybody with a wallet participating instead of somebody who's got $5 million in assets and they're a qualified purchaser. So it's more volume that's just proving out that there needs to be more pipes. And you can build functionality for that as well, that there's so much to do in current world. And you talk about this growth, 10 trillion to 30 trillion, possibly over the next four or five years in terms of inflows into the alt space or total AUM. There's just so much blocking and tackling to do. Don't even need to worry about Web3. No, you don't at all. There's still a fun opportunity there because there's some big companies with some big money that are trying to go solve this. And so we can get to go plug into their stacks. But yeah, no, I agree with you completely. Let's stick with the here and the now because there's just so much to do in terms of making fun closings better and then everything around that. I always end this podcast asking everyone the same question, which is what is your favorite or most interesting alternative investment? I'm going to say my favorite, most interesting alternative investment is the private shares that I own and the companies that I've worked in. Because the best bet that I can make is on myself and in my own career. I always thought about my career as, well, I wouldn't go work there if I wouldn't go invest in it. It's been a portfolio that I've been happy to build over the last last number of years. It's Carta, it's pass-through. I think those are going to become, if not already, cornerstones in the alt space. You're also not the first person who has answered that as the answer to their question, which is great because it means you believe in your companies. Oh, thanks. It's, it's fun building it. We wouldn't be here if we didn't think there was something special. Yeah. And you're building something that's so critical to the growth of the alt space. I mean, we talk about mainstreaming of alts and the downstreaming of alts on this podcast so often and it's only powered by the infrastructure that enables that to happen and pass through is right in the middle of all that so tim congrats on what you're building pass through super important for the space and thanks for coming on the podcast yeah thanks so much for having me it's been great thanks for listening to this episode of alt goes mainstream i hope you enjoyed it you can find more episodes of the podcast at any of your favorite podcast sites and you can read more about alts at my Substack, altgoesmainstream.substack.com, and follow me on Twitter at, at Michael Sigmore and at GoesAlt. Thanks a lot, and have a great day. We're going